Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Hi, good morning, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. You wouldn't think that much would be happening in the world of trees and lawn care, but today we're going to talk about how technology is affecting a very old industry. And this has been an ongoing theme on our show. So I hope that you'll pay attention because one of the things that we've talked about a lot is if you don't get ahead of technology, technology is going to get ahead of you. So on today's show, we have Dick and Josh Baer from Arbonomics Turf. And they're a very old company, but they're dealing with technology, just like all of us. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Start off by telling us a little bit about Ar- Arbonomics, your history, and what you do. Well, I grew up in Ohio, northern Ohio, and I grew up in the nursery landscape business, garden center. And my family had, uh, it was a, a very large uh, operation for their, they worked in Cleveland and Pittsburgh too. And um so I kind of grew up with it. And then I went to Ohio State University because that's where they had horticulture and so on. So I took that in school, stayed in there as long as I could to avoid the Vietnam War. And, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, got out and uh, started a landscape contracting business. And I knew how to dig up trees and move them and so on, but I didn't know a thing about how to run a business. So uh, I had it for about uh, three and a half years. It wasn't doing very well, but a big company came along, wanted to buy it. So that was great. So I sold the business and that bought was a, good. Yeah, I got in the real estate business. That was real good. So anyway, then uh, Chemlon was kind of getting going, and uh, I had dreamed up a program like theirs for the tree part. They had a lawn care program, but they didn't do trees and shrubs. And the owner of Chemlon got a flyer of mine out of a hardware store in um, Worthington, Ohio, and um, thought. I ought to be added to the team. So they came over and uh, interviewed me and so on. So I went to work for them. And that was a real, really a great break because they were a very systems-oriented company. They were making money hand over fist. They were growing like crazy. Richard Duke, who owned the company, uh, was a great mentor, tremendous businessman. And I learned a lot from him. And uh, so I stayed there for a few years. And then uh, they wanted to transfer me to from Atlanta to Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and um, I I didn't want to leave Atlanta, so I quit and started Arbonomics. Yeah, Atlanta is a great place for to be in the tree business. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. And when I moved here, Peachtree Industrial had just been paved, so that's how back far back, you know, 1977 or so. So it, it is a, a very old industry, and we were talking yesterday about how there are some trends that are happening in your industry that would be of interest to some of the CEOs who are listening. Tell us what some of those trends actually are. Everyone's having a hard time now finding uh, help. And, and of course, uh, finding help's one thing. You know, if someone has got a, a temperature, you can hire them. But you want to find good, good help. And like I said yesterday, a lot of American workers think manual labor is the president of Mexico. <laughs> and um, so our business, you know, it's work. That's a it's, really funny joke. Yeah, it's it's hard work. And you're going out there and it might be 100 degrees and you're pulling the hose. And, you know, you go into the backyard, you make a lot of noise, but the German shepherd is still out there. 
And so he tries to get you and you leap the fence and all that. I mean, it's, it's a young person's career, you know. So anyway, finding. And that's how you got Josh into the business, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he, went out for, he went out for quite a few years and did the work. And it's great because then you know what your guys are experiencing. You know, that's a big thing. You know, what can you do with your business to make it attractive to young people to, to where they want to come on there? You know, so you have great training. Um just all sorts of great things, you know. Uh, we we built a, a, a beautiful two-story facility to have people come in and say, like, wow, you know, I want to work here. Mm. Rather than some farmhouse out in the country that's, you know, run down and, and uh, beat up and everything. So, uh, you do all those kinds of things. Provide uniforms, lots of benefits, nice trucks, nice equipment, you know. And uh, try to attract great people that way, too. Mm. And And Josh, one of the things that, we talked about yesterday is how technology is affecting your business. Share with us some of some of those trends as well. You know, one thing that we've really worked hard on is that when we go out to uh, give a customer a quote, trying to speed up that, you know, a lot of people, they do a satellite measurement over the phone, so they don't even go out to the property. And so they're using technology to uh, take measurements of the property and then just give the customer a quote. And the idea is that they're trying to close the sale right then. And, um, We've tried that, but what we're trying to do is still deliver that personal approach and uh, go out on site and do a, a real true evaluation of their property. And so we've tried to speed things up on that end. So now all of our guys have, all of our sales folks have uh, laptops in their vehicles with an internet connection. And they, uh, as soon as they visit that property, they uh, email the quote to the customer. Mm. So that's, um, we found that to be great because somebody might be sitting at work and they can't talk on the phone, but they can check their email, you know, surreptitiously and, um, and take care of business that way. So, mm. and Dick, what about automation? How is automation affecting your industry? Well, it's incredible because they already have uh, mowing machines that are that are self-driving, and um, uh, Kubota is a, a leading tractor company, and and they're in in that business. They've been kind of the first to emerge, I think, with that equipment. And so, how that would work is that you might take today, you might take five large mowing machines out to the Gwinnett County Chamber of Gwinnett County Chamber of Commerce building unload them and you've got to have five operators uh, manning those machines. In the not too distant future, I think possibly within five years, we'll have where you have one person taking those five machines out there and uh, unloading them and they start to mow themselves and they know where to go and they're programmed and so on. Uh, you're going to have, a say, a forty dollars or $50,000 salary once instead of times five, you know, $25,000. Uh, 25, I think this is in the not-too-distant future. And, of course, also probably within 10 years, you're going to have the truck driven out there by itself and the guy maybe is napping on the way out, eating breakfast in the truck. So this would be your, your workforce as well. And as you play that out into the future, how do you think that this is going to affect your workforce and your business model? And do you think it'll be a net benefit or is it something that you're apprehensive about? It is going to be interesting because, like Josh said, we like that personal service element. So, you know, the truck might drive itself and he might be eating a, a cheese and egg sandwich while he's driving and drinking orange juice and reading a book uh, on the way out there to the property. But then he's going to have to go out there and look around for Japanese beetles to uh, kill and uh, weeds and such. And um, 
So there's still going to be that human element in our part of it, you know, in the pesticide part. So I don't think, I don't see that going away, but everything is going to be so automated. And I mean, it might come to be where there is a a spreader, a self-driving spreader that sprays and spritzes and such uh, on its own. So, I mean, the the, uh, artificial intelligence thing is huge. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's scary, and I think it might be a net thing out where you know you've got uh, the problem of the human variable where they oversleep or get sick and uh, or off for emotional reasons, <laughs> and the machine shows up for work every day. So you've got that element that's good, but then you've those got those pesky emotions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All those things enter in, and hopefully our society and country move forward and get better and better. And Josh, as you think about the implications for for you know a, automation, artificial intelligence in in your industry, do you anticipate a significant change in your workforce? Like, would you be able to do the same work with a quarter of the people as Dick was saying? Something interesting about lawn care is that it can't be done virtually. You you have to be on site at the customer's house. There's no getting around that. You know, you can't treat their pretend grass online or something. And so. Their virtual grass. Right, yeah. And so I think um, we'll be innovating and trying to figure out how we build on that strength of boots on the ground. We're, you know, six or seven times a year, we are actually at your house. And not only are we at your house, but we're walking all around your house to treat the grass. So I think um, I think something that we'll be trying to innovate is what else can we be doing while we're there? And, you know, it might be forming partnerships with other home service providers where we're we're there anyways, and maybe the guy is just standing there checking to make sure the machine is doing its job, but at the same time, he's visually checking something else at the same, you know, maybe a gutter, the how the gutters look or the quality, the, the condition of the mailbox or is the paint peeling or, you know, how else can we provide value to the customer because we have to be there on site. So it'll be interesting to see how, how it all plays out. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, any speculation as to what's going to happen? I mean, this is the question with automation, right? What's going to happen with the people that are no longer needed? You know, the four people who, are, who had a job, you know, mowing the lawn at the Gwinnett County Courthouse who no longer need, you know, are no longer needed. I think that we could see our society in 10 to 15 years go, go over to Downton Abbey type of a thing where people are uh, serving as butlers and cooks and maids and such. And it, it may be, like I said to you yesterday, there's going to be maybe 3.5 million truck drivers out of work. And, uh, and then how many, no, how many florist drivers and taxi cab and such? Uh, Ubers. Yeah, Uber's Uber, Uber so supposed to go all, yeah, all, uh, all, all self-driving. Yeah. So we may have actually end up with a huge surplus of, of a workforce and kind of go back to that time uh, where you just have more help around the house. And um, uh, that's your entry-level position. You know, uh, you might start off somewhere as a, a growing up and then start as a maid like your mother was a maid and then try to break out of that class, you know, just like on Downton Abbey. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So let's start the conversation a little bit. You ha- you're here with, with Josh, Dick. And um, for those of you who may not have picked up on it, they're related. Um, <laughs> Dick is Josh's father. I would love to talk about how you've built this, this business. You have multiple businesses and how you work together and how you get that relationship to work and be so cordial all the time. Well, um, I've, Josh I've, is laughing. <laughs> well, I've, I 
if I had to pat myself on the back for one thing, it would be we were good at raising kids. And my wife and I were very strict with these kids and, um, you know, hauled them to church as much as we could and uh, tried to imbue the old-fashioned American values in them, you know, hard work and honesty and integrity and all that. And uh, so there's three of them, and uh, we have a daughter in the middle who's kind of a borderline case. But um, uh, but she's she's uh, she's doing better. She's got okay, three kids. Okay, don't listen. Don't listen. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Josh um, had different uh, careers. Uh, he went to school in um, computer networking, and I wanted him to go to school in this, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's probably better that he went out and and got a degree in something that's more generalized, you know. And uh, so anyway, um, as the company grew, I felt like I needed help. I had my stepdaughter uh, there as a C- she's our accountant, and uh, so she was a big help. And um, and then uh, he was kind of floundering a little bit. So I said, you know, I really need you to come over here. And it's been like a miracle. I mean, he can do anything with computers. It's hard to believe what he and his little brother can do with computers. And that's what age we needed to enter into. You know, I mean, everything's revolves around that. And our phone system, you know, we, we had all these women answering, eight or 10 women answering phones. And uh, <laughs> uh, we started monitoring them answering the phones. And now we have less, we have fewer women because we cracked the whip on the ones that were still there and said, you're answering the phones 46% of the time and you need to be answering them. I think it's 94% now. And uh, things like that, you know, tracking of our, of our employees and such. Mm. And, yeah. and Josh, how, how did you, you come full circle? So you decided to branch out and do IT, which is not urbanomics. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you came, came back. And how's, how did you make that decision? You know, it worked. It, it's, I think it's worked out pretty well. I, I grew up working for my dad. We've, we've got pictures of uh, a child labor, <laughs> you know, um, but we had a good time. And uh, he taught me early on the name of a dogwood and a crepe myrtle, the Latin name, and, um, and, and we'd identify pests together. And, you know, for a while, the business was run out of the house. So um, it was right, right there, front and center. And, um, but, uh, you know, it worked out really well because I was able to go work for some incredible companies uh, after I graduated from University of Georgia and um, to get some outside perspective, you know, in a way he's been in this business. He's he's been only in this business for 35 years. And so I think it's been valuable to pull uh, some best practices from some of the companies that I've worked for, some perspectives, some maybe some books that they've read and uh, pull that back into Arbonomics and keep things um innovative and fresh and so how did you manage the the change aspect because one of the things <laughs> i know you're laughing you know exactly what i'm talking about so you know to go from a company that's been doing it a particular way for a long time and mm-hmm. you come in with all this you know great best practices yeah, yeah. <laughs> and trying to get the, the older company to to do the best practices how how did you do that because I, I, that's typically not particularly easy. No, I, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, <laughs> you know, um, uh, it was funny when Dad hired me. He says, "I want you to be uh, chief improvement officer or something like that." And and I How realized, cute. yeah, I realized over time that that was more like the the chief uh, criticizer, and nobody that was not going to be popular with anybody. So it's taken a long time to sort of. Um, uh, I've, I've got a little bit of politician in me, and so I've, I've, I've leveraged that to 
you know, to know when just to be quiet and, and, uh, and know when to sort of try, uh, gently introduce an idea and try to get it to be somebody else's idea if possible. And, um, and, and then the other, that's actually a good, good (laughs) rule of change management. Try to get it to be somebody else's idea. And then you got to be willing to roll up your sleeves and jump in yourself to prove that something works. You know, A a lot of times folks will just say, there's no way that'll ever happen. And then you have to be willing to say, look, I'm willing to take a week and I'll jump in and I'll show you that this can work and that can smooth over some things sometimes. So, Mm, Great. And how do you manage conflict? So, you know, dad and son are working together. You're the eldest. You know, I imagine things don't always go great. (laughs) And as I mentioned, I like to kind of get beyond platitudes, you know. Well, it's, uh, I don't know. Um, we just uh, really kind of enjoy the same things. We both like opera and we like country and western music and so on. So we don't fight over the radio like I do with my wife. <laughs> and then um, he doesn't like fireman subs, but I do. And so every so often he'll go, okay, dad, let's go to fireman sub. So we kind of tr- have trade offs and such, but we just are so much alike. I mean, when you see pictures of me when I was his age, uh, we look alike even then. And uh, so anyway, uh, just our tastes and values and so on, it's huge uh, how much alike we are in our in our thinking. And that goes a long ways. And then you, you know, you have all that uh, money in your emotional bank account, so to speak. So you're willing to let your son uh, try some things. We needed to put a computer system in out of Graham Manufacturing. And um, it, these consultants that we hired wanted $110,000 to put it in and train the people for a year afterward with it. And he, Josh said, I can do it, Dad, for nothing. You know, I'm, I'm already working here. And I thought, oh, boy, what if he doesn't, you know? And um, <laughs> so, but I thought, oh, well, let's give it a whirl, you know? And that was about a year ago, and it's working beautifully. We had to pay for the software, you know, um, Fishbowl, I think it's called. But anyway, um, that that's working beautifully, and so we saved all that money. And um, so... It's just that kind of a thing where you have to let uh, the younger generation try out things and trust them and and uh, step back, you know. And it's great because I've been able to travel more. My wife and I go to Asheville and Savannah a lot. And then we take other major trips to Europe and so on. And it's great because we're, you know, I'll be 69 years old in May. And um, it's nice to travel and kind of reap the benefits of your hard work all these years mm-hmm. and sacrifice, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and. The importance of having some sort of a successorship or grooming that next next level, next generation of of leadership is really, really important. Yeah, I would like to see the company become an ESOP, like Publix and Davy Tree Company, and um, have the employees own it and and keep it going. And uh, it's a fabulous business we're in because it's reoccurring revenue. It could be scaled up across the actually it could be scaled up across the world. If you got into pest control, a lot of American companies are over in Europe killing bugs. And so <laughs> um, it's it's great, uh, oh, the scalability of it. And it's just a, about the perfect business model that there is, the most perfect. It's fabulous. And, um, you, you know, you, you can franchise it. And uh, so there's – we have an organic company that we bought about um, four years ago. So now we're doing um, organic uh, pest control. Uh, and the, on the properties, there isn't much in the way of organic weed control you can do, but but we're trying uh, to work with that and get that better and better. It's called Simply Organic, and um, it could be franchised and so on, too. 
And uh, so it's just a fabulous business with all of the octopus uh, tentacles you can put out from it, you know. Well, one thing that, that I'm curious about is you say it's a great business, but how come, and you can scale it, but how come most lawn, guy, lawn, lawn guys don't scale? I mean, they're just the one lawn guy or maybe they have themselves and a couple couple people working for them. Most most people in your industry have not successfully scaled up their business. We call those e-myth, uh, e-myth guys because they never learn the systems that they need to put into place. Mm. You know, I'll never forget Good Michael. Word. Yeah, Michael Gerber, I remember saying how an exit sign is a system. You know, whoever thought of that? But it is. If there's an emergency and the alarm's going off, you start looking around for the exit signs and then you get out of the building, you know. And so you have to have systems for absolutely every little thing. And my management team that was in place before Josh came over was excellent at uh, creating systems for everything. You know, if we get a truck in a wreck, there's the stuff in the glove box on what do you do? Uh, you know, get out your video camera and start shooting pictures. And, of course, first thing is call the police and the ambulance if need be and so on. But but we have that into a system, and so we just have created all these systems all along. Uh, the the myth book with by Michael Gerber has been huge in my career. I forget how I got that book, but I think my first accountant I had gave me a copy of it, and it's just an incredible book for businesses. Mm. And how do you put in systems for things that are a little bit more subtle? Like a lot of people struggle with sales and marketing, for example. You, you know, systems for how your salespeople actually go out and have that conversation that's really effective with the customer? How do, how do you put in systems for things that are a little bit more subtle? Well, I think some of that is uh, just the culture that you create there. You have a system for creating the culture. The other day, I noticed that a lot of our employees are starting to look really shaggy. I don't know what it is with men these days. They don't want to <laughs> shave except about every three days. I found out you could set a razor to, to shave you, and it'll when you're done, it looks like you have not shaved for three days. You can actually set the razor to do that. <laughs> well, so yeah, neither you nor uh, Josh have participated in No Shave November. So yeah. listeners, you can look at the pictures. They're, they're no no uh, man bun for either of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so uh, I, I talked to my general manager about it, Doug Cash, and uh, I said, we need to clean these guys up. You know, they need to shave every day. And then um, these... You know that that's not the fashion now. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, uh, it's a... Uh, who, what's the name of that actor that's... Uh, uh, he was married to J-Lo, or they were going to get married. Which one? There's like, there's Mark Anthony. There's... Who else was it? Uh, yeah. Uh, I know he got a ticket going to Savannah doing 100 and some miles an hour in the middle of the night uh, when they were going to settle up over there. But anyway, um, Ben Affleck. Okay. And so it's that Ben Affleck look, you know. And um, or another one is uh, uh, just a huge beard, you know. And so, yeah, you the know, Lord of the Rings beard, not, I don't like that fashion. I'm waiting yeah. for that to go out of fashion. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going out to these homes and these customers look out the window. And I said, you know, <laughs> we we want to look sharp and ship shape and all that. And uh, so I lowered the boom on on that. And if they come in without the shirt on for the uniform, you know, just like UPS, they're going to get sent back home and you put the right shirt on, you know. We gave you five or six shirts, whatever it is. You ought to be able to keep them clean, you know. So it's just a standard you set like UPS, you know. Uh, do you know that with UPS, if you wreck a truck, they don't take and let you drive it back to the shop. They tow it back to the shop. They don't want a truck that's been wrecked being driven by someone. It gets towed back. So you have to set those standards, and and that's what sets your company apart, you know. Hmm. Yeah. 
And how do you develop the, 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 those standards? How, how, did the, how did they come into being? I think uh, that the head of a company, the, uh, the CEO, sets standards uh, that, are, that are passed uh, down through the company. We just went to visit. A, a, that's another thing we're really big on is we go to other competitors and we visit them and we see how you do things. One of the best books I ever read was by Walmart, Sam Walton. You know, and he drove to Kalamazoo, Michigan or something and visited with Kmart. And they told him all these incredible things on how they did things and kind of taught him how to do the business. And well, then he took on one out and put them out of business, basically. And um, so we uh, just went down and visited a company in Florida, a very large company. They did not know you were competitors, did they? Oh, no, they did. Yeah. They actually have a program where they spent several, uh, two days with us all day, every day, and took us all around their facilities and so on. Showed us their books, their their profit loss statements and such, and shared Why? what percentage labor they have and what percentage um, a chemical product they have and so on. Why? They're competitive. You're competing with them. Well, I think they're trying to just raise up the whole industry. But anyway, the thing that kind of got me on the kick was they wear ties, shirts and ties in Florida. All of the management, uh, that's what they wear. And they have a branch here or a couple branches in Atlanta, and their salespeople wear shirts and ties. In August? Yeah, in the in the heat. And um, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, it's kind of like, wow, that's what we're up against, you know, so we need to up our game, too. They'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't, 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 don't gonna, do that to your people. Do don't no. make your, your people wear a tie in, yeah, we're in not 105 degree weather outside mowing the lawn. No. Yeah. yeah. Because you could lean over our equipment and get your tie caught in the pulley, and then you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not very funny, but yeah, uh, great, Josh. What as as the the next generation of leadership in the company? What's your philosophy on how to get these values and standards into the into the organization and make sure that there's continuity, right? As your dad goes on vacation to Europe and doing all these wonderful things. That's an interesting question. I participated in Vistage for a while, and and one of the little things you hear there is about uh, how culture eats strategy for breakfast, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I don't think you can ever, as a as leadership in a company, you can ever let your guard down. Uh, you you always have to be true to yourself. You always have to be real um, because folks are watching you, and um, mm. uh, and they they you know if if you like my dad's saying, if you have a sloppy appearance. Even though you may not have any, um, you may not be talking to customers all the time. It doesn't matter. It still bleeds down through the organization. Um, so I don't know if that quite answers your question. So it's the, it's the walk the talk thing, and we we that comes up a lot on the show. Culture, the word culture comes up a lot on the show as well, because as you as you said, it's culture is decisive. It's mm-hmm. the environment. It's the water in which people are swimming. What I think is al- always interesting to examine is how an individual company develops their culture. You mentioned modeling, which I think is definitely one important strategy. Your father mentioned a couple others. How would you describe your culture? You know, something interesting about our business is that uh, our folks, our technicians get into a truck in the morning, very early, and they leave the shop and they're all by themselves all day long. So for six, seven hours, they're out and nobody's watching them. Uh, They have to self-manage. Our culture is very much about having integrity and, and being knowledgeable. We, tr- we have uh, about an hour's worth of training every single week for all of our techs, and it's good training. It's really high-quality training. And so there's a lot of, um, 
we say we give folks a lot of uh, a rope and um, and we expect them to do the right thing. And if there's a problem, then we have to reel that rope in pretty quick. But otherwise, you're autonomous. And so, um, you know, I think we try to be fair with folks and we try to be generous with folks. And, uh, and we try to, you know, my dad really puts a big emphasis on having a, a nice place to work and good equipment to work with. We don't want you to, you know, have the wrong tools for the job. We want you to have great tools for the job. And we want you to um, be equipped to, to do a great job for the customer and to have the time to, to talk with them and give them great customer service. And so I think um, trying to build that foundation for the company is really important for the success of your organization. So. Mm-hmm. Dick, how would you describe your company's culture? Well, I was just sitting here and thinking about, I heard that um, when you interview at Chick-fil-A, I don't know if they still do this or not, or if it was a passing thing, because it it's it would be hard to sustain it. But they take a guy out in the parking lot, and they might walk through the parking lot, and they have a couple soda soda uh, containers that they've thrown on the ground, and um, they see if they pick them up or not, you know. And so I've kind of tried to do that. I learned from my from my daughter uh, about interviewing, and um, this I, is the 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 marginal one. No, this is my stepdaughter, technically. But um, she, she, we were hiring, Doug and I got real excited about this guy that we were hiring, and he was like 20, 21 years old. And um, she said, I don't like this guy. I don't think you should hire them. And we said, what? He's perfect. And she said, did you go out in the car, out in the parking lot and look at his car? Oh, no, don't do that. I have junk <laughs> in my car. No. Well, no. And she said, it's got a little steering wheel in it. It's got special wheels. It's stick shift which is okay, but it's a high-powered Honda Accord. He's jacked up the engine and everything, and you're going to give him an $83,000 truck to go around in, you know, and this kid's a race car driver. And she said, he's going to wreck the truck. And sure enough, about a month later, oh, he... you hired him anyway? Yeah. And, and then, <laughs> that, oh, you know, that's another thing I wanted to mention. You always want to have a woman in on the interviewing process. You heard because that? women, oh, they're incredible. You always want to have a woman in leadership, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because they are. They have a different, a different sense to them about guys especially, but people in general, and they're very intuitive on what you're getting, you know? And so, uh, that's a really big deal. So you hired him anyway? Yeah. And then we came back (laughs) and we met again. Yeah. Then we hired, then we had the second best guy in our opinion. And she said, no, he's no good either. He was a con artist (laughs) and pretty soon he ripped us off. You hired him anyway too. Yeah. Then like the fifth guy, she said, that's who you should have hired. And we said, what? He was terrible. He was real shy and introverted, and he had his legs crossed, and he bit his nails the whole time. And he was terrible, and she said, that's your guy. So then we ran out of people because everybody else had a job, so we hired him, and he's still here. I mean, um, he was great because, you know, you don't want some salesman-type guy out there in the truck. He's not going to last because it's kind of a lonely job, and they don't like running away from German shepherds. So you've got to take and have the a worker bee, you know, and they kind of are quiet and and uh, bite their nails and yeah, cross their legs. And... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know they're not on the phone all the day. You hire a salesman; he's on the phone the whole day spraying lawns, and and uh, it's a riot with the the personalities you get, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Um, I would love to find out if there's anything new that's happening across any of your businesses, Arbonomics, Wham. Graham, that you think the CEO listeners would be interested in hearing? Well, we're really big, like we said yesterday, on books. And um, we were telling you about that traction book, which is Michael Gerber on steroids uh, and um, the EOS system, Entrepreneurial Operating System. We had one of their consultants, Wayne. 
Curzon on a couple of years ago. Yeah. And uh, so that's been a real, you know, Gerber's book takes you up to maybe $5 million, uh, And then, you know, after that, it gets very complex. And, um, and, the, and the dollar amount doesn't really matter. It's the number of employees you've got. So when you have 10 employees, that's one thing. But when you have 100 and more, uh, that's another thing. And so uh, the systems become even more important. And they get lost in the shuffle. My wife was spent her whole career with a law firm that's 50 years old, and uh, they would have things happen over there uh, when someone would uh, re- retire, and then um, this uh, thing started going wrong. Well, they never had it written down and such, and that person was gone, so there wasn't the checking that needed to be done on something, and the next thing you know, they were running off the tracks. The business just cannot revolve around uh, people. It's got to revolve around these systems. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. For everyone listening, we've been talking to <clears throat> Dick and Josh Baer from Arbonomics Turf, Inc., CEO and CIO. We've talking been talking a lot about systems and processes and culture and technology. Thank you so much for listening to CEO Exclusive Radio. I'm your host, Soyini Koch, and I hope you have a prosperous, productive, and very profitable week. Thanks. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.